Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. This year, we're going to ship almost 5 gigawatt to the U.S. We are actually number one in terms of the importation volumes into the U.S. this year. You have to consider the last three years was the abnormal market situation, but Trina has been growing statically from year to year. I'm so proud of my team. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, happy new year, Solar Warriors. Welcome. It is 2024. I can hardly believe it. We're going to kick this year into high gear with one of the longest interviews I've done in a while, but also one of the best. Candidly, I know I've said that a few times, but it is rare that I get a chance to really pull back the veil, peel back the layers of the onion of a career with this much consequence. You see, when I was a young whippersnapper trying to figure out, get my feet planted in the solar industry on my, I think, third move in the solar industry, I moved to a then relatively little known company in the United States called Trina Solar. And I remember well meeting a guy named Steven Zhu when I was at Trina and thinking this guy has so much lore around him. He seems like he's practically a co-founder and really speaking from a position of confidence and understanding and, and a confidant to the chairman, Jifan Gao, the creator and founder of, of, of Trina. And now I know why. And over the next couple of hours, you will as well. You see, Stephen has a fantastic history from growing up in China to studying here uh, stateside, going back to China, leaving what was a very promising career to start his entrepreneurial journey, start a wireless company. At one point, true story, he jokingly told Mr. Gao that he couldn't afford to hire Stephen because his company was making more money than Trina. (laughs) Oh, how the evolution of this story intrigued me. And so I dug deep with Stephen and that's why I'm launching this as the first episode of the year because this truly is one of those stories that you want to listen and lean in. And like with a couple of years ago when we kicked off the year with Carrie Hayes from REC, and and you really should listen to that episode too because it was tremendous. Stephen and I go super deep into not just how and why he couldn't not do this, right? Why why this is the thing that he spent most of his career focused on, but some of the backstory that most people don't know about how Trina got its start and how it evolved to become not just one of the top solar panel manufacturers in the world, but one of the leaders in innovating around technology with the highest production in type Topcon module and, and routinely breaking records in module innovation. And now is the largest 
uh, importer of record for solar panels in the United States in the year of 2023, as you probably heard in our episode back in December. And they're bringing manufacturing to the United States. We're grateful and proud of the opportunity that I finally had over the last year to work again with Trina. And I kept asking, please let me get Stephen on the show. Please let me get Stephen on the show. And they finally, finally acquiesced. So Stephen, thank you for that. Thank you, dear listener, for taking the time to tune in. Sorry for the abnormally long intro to an abnormally long episode, but I am super excited about this, this episode in particular. If you, like me, want to hear from the founders, creators, the, the CEOs and executives on the front lines of the clean energy transition, lifting our industry from the dust into tomorrow and into your homes, well, you're in the right place because we've done more than 670 such episodes here on Suncast and counting. Please stay tuned. You can check out the whole back catalog at mysuncast.com or right in the podcast player that you are in. But without further ado, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another fantastic deep dive conversation here on Suncast. Well, I've been looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today for quite some time. In fact, whether or he remembers it or not, uh, today's guest, Stephen, and I met very briefly while he was kind of phasing out and I was almost kind of phasing into Trina Solar. But as you'll hear today, Stephen's impact on uh, my career and many others, and, and in fact, the, the Trina business as a whole is deeper and more profound than I think even most Trina employees are aware. We're going to discover that and much more. Super happy to have Stephen Zhu on the show. Welcome, Stephen. It's a good pleasure. Stephen, I like to kick things off by reading a quote. I would encourage you to, if you haven't already, think about a quote that inspires you that you could share with us as well. I'll, I'll go first. And this one is by Douglas Malick. I've shared it before, but it's one of my favorites. Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger wind, stronger trees. The further sky, the greater length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold, by rain and snow. In trees, and men, good timbers grow. And I love that quote because it reminds us that it is through the friction and the wind and the trials in life that the uh, that the good strong timbers make it right. The the hardwoods, um, and it's it's a good reminder for everyone as they build their careers. Absolutely. Um, I don't have any particular quote. I. Mm you know, really like, but, uh, you know, there was old Chinese wisdom words saying, you know, if you try to get there, um, sometimes speed up might not be the fastest way. Mm. Um, you know, you have to take things step by step. I like that because, you know, a lot of times we pay a lot of attention to what we're trying to reach and we ignore the ways that we are going there. And, um, you know, faster you go, and sometimes you miss a lot of things on the road, yeah. and uh, you know, sooner or later they will come back to you. You know, so so I try to be static uh, as much as possible, and try to be, you know, solid for each step. You know, um, that actually helped me to got a lot. You know, regarding my career and also uh, how how we manage the business. Yeah, you've been very methodical in your careers. We'll explore today. Can we, at the outset, at maybe you know, thirty, fifty thousand feet, think about the macro problem, uh, how would you describe the problem that you all, uh, and I mean you all because you were very involved in the very beginning of Trina Solar, 
created the company to solve? What at a, at a, at a meta layer does Trina contribute to resolving in the world? Generally speaking, renewable energy is coming to the world to help to solve the climate situation. Um, but, you know, relatively what we call the great parity, where the cost has to be low enough so the industry can have sizable, you know, chiming into the energy structure um, so that everybody can afford that, you know. So it's a balance that has to be reached, um, which is... Um, the challenge for the whole industry. So that's why the first couple of decades, the industry is trying to drive the cost down as much as possible so that it can be popularized, you know, um, and industrialized to everybody to use. That makes a lot of sense uh, to be able to make renewable energy affordable and reach grid parity, uh, which is essentially where the cost to install the kilowatt hours or electrons from renewables is at parity with the existing generation, which for the most part around the world is fossil fuel. We, over the last two decades, have needed to introduce new systems and efficiencies to drive the cost, the inputs down to achieve that generation cost structure. With that in mind, for those who are maybe not familiar with the renewable sector at all, but are listening to Suncast because they're trying to learn, introduce them to Trina Solar and why the company that you've helped create is solving the problem that we've just enunciated. You know, a lot of people thinking about the cost reduction, they think about, you know, shall we compress the labor rate? Shall we compress the material cost? You know, in solar industry, that actually demonstrates it's just a very niche portion of that. And uh, a bigger portion is keep on, you know, uh, develop the technology, keep on improve the efficiency, productivity. I still remember in the early days that we utilizing the polysilicon almost like 50 grams per watt. And now we can utilize three grams of polysilicon per watt. The wafer thickness used to be, you know, uh, 15 to 20, you know, uh, nanometers. Uh, and now it's down to like three or four. Um, so that significantly saved the cost, um, reduce the cost, but also save a lot of materials. You know, you used to need 10 tons of the material to produce one gigawatt, and now you only need half of those or probably even 10% of that. You know, so so not only save the Earth's resources, but also to make the solar lower cost so that everybody can enjoy that. You know, so, uh, and also that involves with, you know, uh, constantly and the sustainably investment into almost every sector of the industry, including the technology, including the factory capacities, including the equipment um, and all these things putting together, that's how she, you know, solar be able to get to the current stage barely in the last 30 years. When you first met Mr. Gao, founder, chairman of Trina Solar, what was the cost per watt approximately that solar panels from Isoflaton and others were available in the marketplace, roughly? Solar panel first, the capacity altogether globally, that's probably less than 100 megawatt. Yeah. You know, that was back in 2003, 2004, and it was like $10, over, way over $10 per watt, you know, uh, wow. for the panels. And panels are much smaller, um, therefore the balance of system are more expensive. Yeah. And uh, a lot of uh, grid are not support, 
you know, the solar to inject the power into the grid. Therefore, a lot of, you know, um, standalone systems. Um, but, you know, as you can see, the, the total cost and especially LCOE wise, you know, uh, over the last 30 years is dropped to more than 95%. You know? Yeah. So $10 a watt for a panel back 2003. Fast forward 20 years, where are we at roughly on delivered price for panels today? Just to give folks a sense of scale. Yeah, right now it's uh, the panel itself. It roughly is about 30, 35 cents per watt. And uh, for residential, it's probably a little bit more expensive because uh, generally speaking, uh, bigger the panel, more the power, you know, unit, you know, cost is going lower. And uh, global capacity compared with the hun under 100 megawatts available in 2003? Right now, they're going to be over 200 gigawatts. Yeah, it's insane. Um, when I yeah. was, I remember uh, when I was at Trina, Trina had just crested the two billion sort of um, corporate valuation, and was somewhere in the two to three gigawatts capacity range, and that was considered like record breaking. Right, we were the we became. Uh, I say we because as a Trina alum, having never worked for another solar panel manufacturer, I still align a lot with with Trina. We became the largest solar panel manufacturer in the world at the time um, during that two thousand eleven to two thousand fourteen timeframe. How much is Trina's capacity globally on an annual basis now? Yeah, it's amazing to see it grows. You know, when I joined Trina, it was uh, literally two megawatt of the capacity module only. And uh, now in China, we have uh, roughly about 30 gigawatt of the capacity already installed, running, producing. And we, we will reach about 50 gigawatt next year. And... Uh, Overseas, we also deployed in Southeast Asia. Um, we have a vertical integrated line all the way from Inga wafer and cell and module in, in Vietnam. That's roughly about 4.5 gigawatt. And then in Thailand, we have another, you know, uh, Topcon N-Type 2.5 gigawatt, you know, so, and we're building, we just announced to build a manufacturer in US, which is five gigawatt of the capacity. Uh, so as you can see, you know, um, that actually grows over 10,000 times, you know, in the last, uh, you know, 25 years. That's amazing. It's amazing. That's, it's unbelievable. I mean, Trina having one factory vertically integrated for almost five gigawatts, it was more than all of Trina's capacity at the time that I was an employee there. Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100 kW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Timing in business is everything. And we'll talk in a number of ways about the sort of the, the fortuitous timing in your career in, in a few moments. But when you look back over the last 20 years, what do you see as inflection points that were, uh, yeah, so what, what needed to be true in the marketplace for companies like Trina to work, for it to exist at all? I want to see a couple of things, consistency um, and persistency. Um, generally speaking, um, as I say, because this industry is growing so fast, 
So the supply and demand situation are taking turns to take the lead. Yeah. You know, <laughs> some something is always lagging behind the other ones. So um, it doesn't matter market is up or down. You have to consistently to invest into it. You have to keep up with the wave as much as possible. You're absolutely right. You know, the timing is very critical. You know, if you are too ahead of the wave and sometimes you, you know, drowning in the wave and if you too behind that, you're going to be left out. A lot of channels and resources, um, you know, a lot of uh, things could be established already when you try to catch up. On the other hand, you know, some of the newcomers might have, you know, better advantage also, you know, uh, because the equipment is keep on getting cheaper, capex is keep on going lower, and efficiency technologies keep on going mm -hmm. higher. It is uh, very important to keep it balanced. You know, I would say China is one of the longest survivor in this industry. We evidence so many runs of the waves, uh, up and downs. We have to plan everything. We have to debate, we have to argue, we have to discuss into details regarding the feasibility of the things. But once we decide this is the direction, we have to execute everything really fast in order to make sure there is a right balance in between, uh, you know, the right timing and also the correct moves. Along the way, Trina has achieved some pretty remarkable milestones. Uh, I want to just kind of read for folks that maybe are unfamiliar. Trina has shipped more than 140 gigawatts of modules in the time that it's been around. We'll talk more in depth about um, the founding process and, and everything that has happened. Uh, more than 65 gigawatts of 210 millimeter modules. Um, collectively, uh, more than 7 billion trees equivalent uh, offset in terms of greenhouse gas just from the the volume that Trina has produced. Trina, since the days I was there, has been uh, continuously ranked as not only a Bloomberg uh, Tier 1 bankable module, but also uh, one of the originals uh, in the Silicon Valley Toxics Coalition rated modules that um, was taking ardent effort to reduce the inputs that uh, that might be considered toxic from uh, from a product product perspective consistently since the beginning, I think for nine uh, scorecards now, been uh, consecutively recognized in the PVL reliability scorecard, um, has achieved AAA uh, status in every one of PV Tech's bankability rankings, and I think is the only manufacturer rated as 100% bankable in Bloomberg's survey respondents, which I think all points to the commitment to quality consistency, persistence that you pointed out earlier, 25 world records. Uh, I don't know if it's still true when I was at Trina for sure. And, and, and since then, Trina had uh, the largest R&D budget, kind of like the SunGrow of the module world or SunGrow is like the Trina of the inverter world, right? Like uh, dominating on R&D, like always setting the standard, certainly for, um, for module efficiency currently. And the most recent world record for 24.4%, as we covered in a previous in-type module focused episode that we did with one of your team members. And then lastly, something that we just recently covered with you at RE Plus, when I did an interview that folks can watch on our YouTube channel, you've announced manufacturing here domestically in Wilmer, Texas. Let's go to that one because I think Trina's track record more or less speaks for itself, but let's talk for a few minutes on the factory in Texas. What does it represent for you as 
a leader in the industry and a leader in the organization who's been around for the entire 20 plus year uh, tenure and, and history of, of Trina. Can you talk a bit about the decision to do a manu place a manufacturing facility here in the US? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, solar is, uh, it's very unique compared with, um, you know, other industries because, you know, most of the market initialized with uh, incentive programs, you know, um, and the most that that's sponsored by the local, you know, countries. Um, therefore, uh, but on the other hand, the manufacturer cannot be scared out too much. It has to be centralized as much as possible, consider the supply chain reasons. Um, well, obviously over the years, the U.S. has already grown into a very unique market also, you know, because the country size wise, you know, uh, we have a you know, big enough market, um, and, uh, you know, a big enough land to host the solar. Uh, on the other hand, you know, uh, you know, economy is good enough to sponsor, you know, the solar incentive programs. So U.S. is a market that we always looking and we always deploy into, you know, about six or seven years ago, you know, um, we actually were looking into the U.S. after the AVCVD just came out, um, you know, um, and uh, uh, back to that time, you know, um, the cost was not ready. The supply chain was not ready, um, you know. So, after so many years, um, you know, back to that time, we decided to eventually land our, you know, um, overseas manufacturer in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. That happened to be the right timing, also, because as you can see, you know, a lot of the U.S. manufacturers back then, like Sun Power or for Solar, uh, in the last ten years, they also deploy in the Southeast Asia, you know, to enjoy the lower cost um, of the manufacturer yeah. and closer to the, you know, supply yeah. chains. And specifically Thailand, uh, Cambodia, Malaysia, Indonesia. Exactly. Right? But, you know, recently with the inspiration of the RA, with the long-term sustainability of the policies of the ITC, that the U.S. market obviously become the highest return, uh, you know, in terms of the, you know, solar investment. That attracts a lot of the manufacturers. You know, it, it makes sense actually, you know, to have the manufacturer, at least a part of the manufacturer closer to the market. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, I just give a talk in the, you know, in the sale tag, you know, a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, you have to diversify, you know, uh, instead of putting all the eggs into one basket, you, know, you have to enjoy both the globalization and deglobalization. Yeah. You have to uh, balance between the, you know, the supply supply chain security and the lower cost of the, you know, uh, manufacturing, you know. So, so um, that's why, you know, as you can see, our phase one uh, currently is already running for a couple of years uh, that have all the Southeast Asia, you know, capacities, vertical integrated from Inga all the way to the module, right. altogether 6.5 gigawatt. Currently supplying U.S. In matter of fact, this year we're already number one in terms of the volume supplying to the U.S. market, and then we are building the uh, this Texas, you know, manufacturer um, that will come online by next year, probably towards the middle of next year. It will the first panel will be rolling out. That's the module only at this moment because we did our research wise. We do have the confidence that we will bring a lot of. Uh, you know, uh, bombs and, uh, you know, other vendors closer to our factory to build up the ecosystem, um, you know, to, you know, 
make sure it's not only a one-time factory, but it's actually a long-term sustainable plans.、Mm -hmm. And then we are also, you know, build up the supply chain, you know,、uh, upper stream. We sign, you know, almost the two. Well, there are only three polymakers in U.S.、Um, you know, survived、yeah. over the last you know couple of decades, and、uh, we signed at least two of them for the long-term contract supplies already. And、uh, we, you know,、um, you know,、uh, gradually we will try to、uh, localize more supply chains over to build the the the, the manufacturing ecosystem、right. together. You know,、yeah. um, I always tell. Both my team and also you know external uh, uh, you know, reporters that building a manufacturer is easy,、uh, but it's actually only the first step. You know, but you know you need the whole supply chain, you need the ecosystem, in order to keep on driving the cost down, keep on improve the efficiency, and、uh, keep on getting the labor trained.、Um, you know, so they become experienced worker. Uh, which is very critical in terms of the productivity and the yield, which is. A definitely a big portion of the cost reduction, also, you know. So,、um, and we're going to continue to do that,、um, and we do have our plan for the second phase already in the U.S.、Uh, it's probably third phase in front of、uh, our customer, which is build the cell and a module, yeah, you, know,、um, you know, to move more integrated locally in here.、Um, so, you mentioned about all those big numbers、yeah. accumulates, right? You know, if even if you do small steps every day, every month, that accumulates to a huge number.、Um, you know, same thing here. You know, we do things statically,、um, and if we survive the market long enough, you're gonna see the final result. That's、uh, gonna be a big contribution to everything. Yeah, I remember, you know, ten, ten, fifteen years ago, in、uh, in China. Trina was among the first, if not the first, to institute this this sort of hub and spoke campus model, right?、Um, where you had the factory producing the modules, <clears throat> you had everyone from glass manufacturers, the glass vendors, to the pallet manufacturers within one kilometer of of the factory, right? Do you see that model eventually being、uh, rolled out here in the U.S. as well? It has to,、mm -hmm. you know.、Um, generally speaking, it's not only. One particular product, and then all the bombs around it. It actually requires I mentioned about upper stream with the you know polysilicon makers, wafer players, cell you know manufacturers, but also with the downstream customers. You know、um, the factory location. You know,、uh, you know we experienced the last three years the chaos of the logistic, right? You know,、um, sometimes the oil price is high, sometimes oil, you know logistic cost is down. You know, but if the manufacturer is closer to the market. You know, we selected Texas. It's right in the middle of the U.S. and、uh, it's the best place for the, you know,、uh, for the solar. Have plenty of sunshine, same as California and Florida, right? You know, so you know, by doing that, it's already a cost-saving plan blend into the design. And、uh, you know, same thing regarding the inventories that can help the customer to shrink the lead time of the delivery. You know, which could be co very cost-saving. Um, you know,、uh, if you have the manufacturer six thousand miles away, and then you have to ship it over here, and then sometimes importation regulation changes, and the people have to ship it back. A lot of things are wasted. You know, those are the rooms that we definitely can improve and keep on improving. How long do you think do you see required for that build out of the full bomb, where we've now 
fully uh, sort of domesticated, as it were, or reshored is the other term, the full manufacturing process? Well, it's purely based on, you know, the lead time on manufacturer construction is probably very quick, you know, but still, you know, in the U.S. it's kind of behind, you know, Asian countries in terms of the building speed. But normally two to three years, you definitely can get, you know, some components are longer, like glass, you know, uh, those furnace, once you run it, you cannot stop it. And, uh, you know, uh, frames, um, but some other things, EVA or junction box, that should be very easy. Got it. Makes sense. Stephen, I want to step back from the sort of the detail of how how Trina works and think about you as the executive in focus and kind of how you got to where you are today. Could you take me back to your childhood? Uh, you grew up in a very specific location that helped give you uh I'll say access or presence to the international nature of China at a time when China was beginning to open up to the outside world and become globalized. Can you talk a bit about your childhood where you grew up and and the impact of uh, your parents' work on uh, ultimately on your careers? Yeah, I, I, I was born in Nanjing, uh, the old capital of China, and uh, which is in Jiangsu provinces. It's, uh, you know, about two hours train, you know, uh, high-speed train right now, you know, from Shanghai, and which is the most advanced developed, you know, provinces in China. Both my parents, my grandparents are worked for the university, they're professors. Um, my grandpa, you know, actually graduated from South, you know, Southwestern University in the U.S. And uh, he was the first group of the Biologist, uh, you know, to went back China when PRC was founded in two, uh, 1949. And, uh, you know, um, and then my mom was the first run of the scholars that were exchange scholars that was sent over to U.S., um, you know, back in 80s, um, sponsored by the uh, World Bank right after the Cultural Revolution. Uh, and China start to open door policy. They start to exchange the, you know, uh, students or scholars with U.S. And, uh, um, so I was growing in that atmosphere and, uh, um, that, uh, we're always, uh, watching U.S. movies. We're always, uh, you know, uh, you know, like the, the products that we're, we're shopping for. And you, you learned know? English at an early age as well. Well, that's a, you know, kind of mandatory for, you know, people start to learn English when they are in elementary school, um, you know, but um, with more and more open door policy, you get more and more chance to watch the movie, get a talk with the visitors and, uh, uh, you know, to my particular family, uh, we have more chances because, you know, my my grandpa has more students in U.S. and they come to visit China every one, almost every year, every quarter. And, uh, you know, so we get a chance to see what we call the foreigners and, <laughs> and, uh, and I play with them. And, uh, you know, they brought the gift from U.S. And so we get to, you know, see different, you know, new toys. And uh, um, that actually, you know, also help us to open a lot of uh, minds, uh, you know, regarding the outside world. Sure. And so, you know, uh, when my mom came for the second, you know, journey to the U.S., uh, visit, you know, invited by her professor, 
um, that was on a private sponsor. Uh, so she has to give up her original job in the Chinese university. Uh, what we used to call the iron ball, right? You know, so you have the iron ball, you cannot break it. That's your job forever. So she has to give that, give up that job and then come to the visit by herself. Um, and so, you know, but, uh, you know, um, she's been working as a visiting scholar, you know, for quite a while in the University of Virginia. So she, she likes that job. It's, it's much more free. And uh, so she came over here and, uh, and then I came after the first year of the college, um, you know, uh, I also joined University of, University of Virginia. So you followed um, in your mother's footsteps to come to UVA. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we'll talk a bit about, uh, I want to talk a bit about your, the impact of your father's work. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, before I ask that, were there any early signs of entrepreneurial tendency or strong leadership qualities that you developed or that others noticed in you? Like, you know, in the US, we might talk about kids that had a paper route or that, you know, were selling things to their peers in school. Were there any early signs of entrepreneurial tendencies for you? I thought about it, you know, um, you know, as uh, most of the Asian Americans just, you know, first generation come over here, I was majoring in computer science also because, you know, that was the, you know, introduction from the family saying, okay, computer science is the best one, you know, that can easier to find a job yeah. when you graduate and uh, make good money, you know, as a software engineering, you know, so, so that was how I pick it up. And I served for IBM for almost 10 years in Austin, Texas for yeah. the high-end server side. And, uh, but I always like to talk to people instead of talk to machine. Right? <laughs> so, so uh, while I was in IBM, I actually, you know, sponsored, I, I actually founded IBM's, you know, training system um, that for the particular RI6000 systems, we have global services. And so we invite people from Australia, from China, from Japan mm -hmm. over to be training in Austin. And right. uh, so getting closer to that, you know, service route. Yeah. And uh, we also propose and build, there used to be three layers and Austin is the first layer, US is first layer, Japan is the you know, second one for the headquarter for the Asian, and then China is the third layer. But with the market in China growing bigger and bigger, we actually, you know, um, proposed to the company to raise up the Chinese level to be more independent from China so that they can get the direct support mm -hmm. from, you know, US side. And uh, so I always like to participate into those kind of things. And I always like to think about the pros and cons of, you know, different, you know, new ideas. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, how to implement those kind of things. Yeah, yeah I, I would love to. Throughout your childhood, um, you not only had the exposure to your grandfather and uh, the foreigners who came in and uh, exposed you to a lot of different cultural values um, from your own and uh, allowed you to develop this multicultural sort of global perspective on the world. You also had an example of uh, sort of an entrepreneurial father, right? He worked for a state-owned company. Can you talk about the role that your father had within the technology development of the Chinese telecom industry? Yeah, I mean, she he was the physics uh, major, um, which is very traditional in China. Um, but I think when he was in the college, he already devoted interest into 
you know, back to that time, there was no double E, there was no semiconductor major in the college. So everything actually belongs to physics, you know, but, uh, you know, he was, you know, uh, showing a strong interest. And then, you know, um, when he graduated, he, you know, in China, most of the people back to that time goes to the state, com you know, company, yeah. if you are a good student. And uh, so he joined as the, you know, normal worker. And over his 40 years, you know, you know, career in that company, he's only worked for one company <laughs> from beginning all the way to the end. And, uh, um, you know, he grew from a normal worker all the way to the VP of the corporate. He founded, you know, his state-owned company is called Panda International. Yeah. And uh, they, in the military works, they do the radar, um, yeah. you know, um, devices, uh, satellites, stations. Um, but they also, uh, you know, starting from open door policies, you know, a lot of those state-owned companies start to do a lot of uh, civilian works, uh, like washing machines, TVs, you know, uh, LED, you know, all those kind of stuff. And so he helped the company to found it, the uh, telecommunication divisions wow. uh, for uh, Panda International. And they were the first joint venture with the Motorola here. Um, they built up a factory in Tianjin. And uh, so they created a coal brand, you know, uh, Panda and uh, Motorola. I, I can't remember exactly the names, but uh, they were the first one to offer those flip Top, the flip you know, ones, uh, yeah, the, the V stars, right, right, mm. and uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, I guess that entrepreneurship was always in his mind, yeah, um, which is very, I won't say it's very unique in China because after open door policies, after seventies and eighties, people are eager to open up, yeah, people are eager to looking for the opportunities, yeah. anything new that really strike them. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and, and there and were opportunities to change career paths, right. To leave the state company and go work for private corporations. Is that what you mean? That's a big decision though, you know, right. Cause uh, it's breaking the iron ball. That's like you said, exactly. It's a lifelong exactly. guarantees job versus uncertainty. I know. Right. I know. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of things was not proven to be true. Right. Um, but if you look back right now, you know, uh, for the last 30 years, I mean, um, Obviously, you know, um, I won't say the pros and cons between private company or state-owned companies, um, but obviously, you know, a private company has much more life in force and, uh, you know, um, it's, it's much more, it's a big contribution. I, I think they contribute to almost 70, 80% of the employee in yeah. China and, uh, you know, contribute almost 70% of the GP, GDP. Yeah. Um, so that speaks itself already. Yeah. I think a fun story is how you chose to go to IBM because coming from UVA as a multilingual, multicultural, uh, upwardly mobile Chinese student, you must've had multiple opportunities. Why'd you choose IBM? Computer science, like uh, my parents said, you know, it's not that hard to find a job, you yeah. know, especially back in nineties. And uh, um, so I did have choices to go to big company uh, like IBM. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I also had the chances to go to smaller companies, uh, more entrepreneurial ones. Uh, so I consulted with my father and my father says, no, go to the big company, go to IBM. And, uh, you know, 
over the years, they accumulate a lot of,、uh, you know,、uh, experience, a lot of、uh, systems that、uh, you can never get,、um, you know, from smaller companies,、um, you know, so that uh, uh, even if you don't know how to run it, you have to see it, you have to learn from it, you have to be part of it, you know, in order to see、uh, the picture.、Um, in in China, there's an old word say,、uh, even if you never eat pork, you have. You gotta see how pig runs, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, oh man. Yeah. So seeing is,、uh, it's it's very critical. I, I I think even back to that time, while you still the freshman, that you don't know that much about it. Um, but that give you all the structures, all the things how people run it. You might not totally understand it. Um, but later, um, you know, when you start to run your own company or run your You know, join other company, those things flashing back, and、uh, you you definitely see it. And、uh, if you are not only memorize the things, but actually understand、mm. the basic logic behind it,、um, you know, that definitely can help you to build whatever things that you want. Hey, friends. I have a proposition for you. Instead of freezing your tail off like I am here in North Carolina, why don't you jump on a plane? Come to San Diego, January seventeenth to nineteenth, and hang out with us at Intersolar, Intersolar North America, and Energy Storage North America. As you're probably aware, one of the premier U.S.-based trade show and conferences focused on solar energy storage and EV charging infrastructure. Suncast listeners can get free access to the expo hall by using the code Suncast at Intersolar.us. That code will also get you twenty percent off your conference. Pass to learn, connect, and conduct business with the most innovative companies in the solar and energy storage business. Go to intersolar.us. Use the code Suncast. And hey, don't forget to stick around all the way through Friday because yours truly may be on stage at the Solar Games. Come check it out. See you in San Diego. I always try to give folks the advice when they ask. Uh, as it happens occasionally for career advice, and I've done this on more than one occasion. Folks who have an opportunity to go work for a big bank or a small startup, big utility, or you know, project development company. My advice,、um, despite the current focus on entrepreneurial activity and endeavor and hustle startup culture in the U.S., I think that everyone is well served with the advice your father gave you. For that reason. Go work for a company who can show you at a macro level what the industry actually is about and how it works, and what good, efficient systems look like. What process really means, because these companies have only gotten that big because they've learned how to build consistent practices and teach them to others inside the organization. Which is, if you want to build a big company one day, what you need to learn. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I was lucky that when I was in IBM. It was the you know Luke Ginsner was the you know CEO of the company, and、uh, that was the time when IBM started to transit from a pure hardware company into a solution company into a consulting company, and、uh, so I definitely evidence a lot of things like that. You know, probably back to that time, I don't quite understand. For example, IBM used to give a lot of hardware for free or really low cost. But charge a lot every year, you know,、uh, for the services, um, and uh, 
you know, at first I don't understand, you know, in China, it's a, it's a, it's hard to understand that hard work can be given for free. Mm. And, uh, you know, um, they take default, the software should be free. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but now things start, the business model is the other way around, you know, yeah. so that does inspire you to think a lot. You know, if you don't understand the things, um, you can either give up or move on and, or you can, you know, keep on digging deeper and think about the logic behind it. That kind of thinking training, um, you know, can help you to be more creative and also to be more logic. Um, so when you see the new stuff, um, you know, or the new industry, you know, everything has to make sense. You know, um, you have to think the through and you have to plan it well. And sometimes you have to try it in order, in order to demonstrate whether that's working or not. All these kind of thinking master, um, you know, it, it it's 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 universal. It's it's a it's a common sense. You were at IBM for five years, uh, working on uh, various divisions, uh, you know, high high price servers, learning how to do the consulting side, um, selling services. At what point did you start to feel the call in the early two thousands? This is post internet bubble burst, right? But pre true scale for companies like Google, networking was starting to become a thing around then. I was in my first few years of, of grad school around then as well. So circa 2002-ish time, when did you start to feel the call to step out of IBM? And, and I imagine for you and for your family, this must have been a, a period of trepidation and cautious di discussion, right? Like you decided to move out and start your own company. Do you talk about that decision framework and what you ended up, like what you ultimately ended up doing? I'm not Elon Musk. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, you know, uh, Bill Gates. You know, I envy those people. So I, I'm, I give a lot of respect and, and admire to those people. Um, you know, so I, I probably, probably didn't plan my career to get into the entrepreneur. And, you know, I also think it's a, you know, also you can learn a lot when you join a company. Right. You know, you don't have to be the owner yourself. Um, and uh, so I founded my own company at the end of the IBM uh, because there was opportunity. <laughs> I mean, the wireless internet just came on into the market. And uh, I do think that's perfect to fit into the Chinese market. Right. Because, you know, there was a lot of uh, new construction coming out. And, uh, you know, burying the wild is always so suffer. Uh, you know, uh, very costly. And I do think wireless, uh, you know, communication is definitely the right way, um, you know, to to approach the market and, uh, you know, given the future. Of course, back to that time, it was very early stage. The bandwidth is really low. The, you know, um, the efficiency is kind of low also. Um, and the cost is very high, you know, but still, I, I do think so. So once some of the you know uh, universities or my father's customers, or business partners approach me saying, "Okay, look, you know, we have the chance, uh, you know, to build this new campus for the school, and uh, we want do the you know broadband you know installation. Is there any better solutions?" Um, so that was the time that actually you know struck me, and uh, you know, so I went back to China and founded this company, um, you know, to do the wireless internet. Um, you know, service providers um, to most of the educational institutes. Um, 
Yeah, well, you know, um, that company runs for roughly about five years also. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, until I joined Trina, I become so busy. So <laughs> I transferred that, you know, entity to my partners. How did you get introduced to Mr. Gao? Yeah, well, you know, he is, he's the true entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> big friend, yeah, yeah. Um, he always looking for the opportunities, looking for the new things. And, uh, you know, so this is actually a story that, uh, you know, at the beginning of 2000, I believe, um, you know, there was a Spanish company, Isofotone was looking to sell the company. Um, and uh, so uh, Mr. Gao was interested and uh, but he does, doesn't has that much of the funding back to that time. And uh, so he came to my father, um, you know, uh, because the state-owned company normally has a lot of fundings um, and uh, want to see if that's possible that we can form a, you know, three-way partnership. A joint um, venture like that, he had done with Motorola, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Pana International could be the fund, you know, uh, investors yeah. and uh, Trina has the experience to operate them. Mm -hmm. And then Isovaran has these, you know, Spanish and a European brand. Um, and for those um, who are unfamiliar, Isofoton at the time was a large European solar panel manufacturer. Not a lot of folks listening may be familiar with it, but those of us who've been in the industry long enough certainly are. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. And was yeah. was Trina at the? Could you characterize what Trina was in two thousand? Uh, was it just an idea in Jifan Gao's head? What was the like? What kind of business was it? Oh, Trina was very small. Yeah. You know, we barely had about about a hundred people, probably even less than that. And what and was the activity? What was the, what was he making money on at that time? Majorly we do the system integrations, mm. um, you know, so, so we build, uh, buildings, um, you know, with some of the solar embedded into the solutions. Um, but you know, majority for the exterior walls, uh, you know, some building materials and, uh, you know, solar is just a BIPV. luxury option, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And where, just if I recall correctly, he had gone to study in Australia. Is that right? Was no, he didn't go to Australia. No, he had, he had a chance to go to Berkeley here. No way. Um, yeah, but uh, he, uh, you know, eventually he graduated from the same, uh, you know, undergraduate in, uh, you know, in Nanjing, the Nanjing University, yeah. same school same I went school. to, and uh, my father and my 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 mother graduated. And uh, uh, and then he went to uh, Jinning University um, mm -hmm. to proceed after Professor uh, uh, Tang Aoqing. Yeah. He's the founder of the chemistry, physical chemistry in China. Okay. Um, that's how he got into the, uh, you know, photovoltaic technology. Right? And, and did your father and the panda take the bait? Did they decide to partner with him on the Isofoton thing? How, how'd that turn out? Um, it didn't work out, you know, eventually. The state-owned company are really slow and, uh, you know, very conservative, especially talking about the investment outside China back to that time. You know, remember this is the end of the 90s and the beginning of the millennia. And, uh, um, and but they become good friends. Yeah. And uh, you your know, father talk, and Mr. Gao. Mr. Gao, right. And uh, they talk to each other every once in a while. And uh, a lot of things regarding new business ideas, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and uh, all those kind of things. So your father mentored Mr. Gao effectively. I won't say mentor; it's just a you know, uh, you know, experience sharing, good good friends, right? Fast forward a few years, and Mr. Gao comes knocking again. There's a pro there's an RFP. And yeah, that's how I know Mr. Gao actually. You know, um, 
you know, I think that was 2002 or 2003. There is a brightness program. Brightness, like the, the light, like brightness. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Brightness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the purpose of that is to bring the lights to some of the rural areas or border provinces um, that including Xinjiang, Xijiang, Tibet, um, you know, uh, Yunnan, you know, those provinces. Um, um, it's, I can't remember exactly the capital investment. It's roughly about 20 billion RMB or something like that. Um, because a lot of places are so high, there is no grid up there. Um, so solar probably become the only possible solution. Right. Um, you know, so Mr. Gao came to my father because, you know, he has some state connections and, uh, you know, uh, we had a family member that used to be the, that was the governor of Tibet, you know, back then, you know, in China, you know, in order to do the business, you have to know the people, you have to know the connections. And uh, so, um, so he asked my, my father's help, you know, to go up to Tibet, you know, to bid for the project. And uh, my dad said it was too high. Tibet is, uh, you know, 6,000 meters elevation and, uh, you know, he cannot go up there and, you know, with his edge. So, you know, so he introduced me, you know, uh, to Mr. Gao. And yeah. uh, so, so you were the family surrogate. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> we ended up um, to go to Tibet together with, uh, you know, uh, me and uh, Mr. Gao. Uh, we shared the same hotel room. Uh, yeah. Wow. And uh, we spent about almost a month up there and, wow. uh, you know, talk with the, all the government officials and, uh, you know, talk with the EPC companies and everything, you know. Um, and eventually, you know, I, you know, the Trina wants the project and, yeah. uh, he, Trina was the only private company that was amazing part, you know, part because most of those state owned, you know, projects are shared by the state owned companies. Right. Um, there are only four companies that actually won the bid. Trina is the only, you know, private ones, Wow. you know, to won the project. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so since then, yeah, you know, we've been keep on talking and, uh, and I want to characterize so that for folks who will have, will be curious about it, the, um, you won a project, you won the award for 40 standalone systems in Tibet for yes. 20, roughly 20 billion RMB, uh, as I recall from our previous conversation. So it was 20 about 20 billion split between four companies. Oh, split between the four. So what was the <laughs> average cost or at that time to deliver one of those standalone systems? Oh, super expensive. Yeah. Remember, like I said, the module was like over $10 per watt. Yeah. And uh, uh, the system cost is almost five times of it. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, back to that time, those standalone systems need to equip it with storage also. Um, you know, so it was early days of the storage technology. And then plus the module, a lot of villages are really, you know, um, you know, distant and you have to use the donkeys or horses to carry the panel into the village to install them you know so so each one of each one of the system is roughly about 50k to 100k um you know so altogether it's uh you know less than 100 megawatt of the project wow trina don't even have the panel ourselves oh yeah um, yeah we, we we haven't started to produce the panels all the way until 2005 okay know? that was the time when i joined the company but uh, in 2003, when the brightness projects, 
we don't have our own panels, so we act mostly likely as the system integrators, okay, um, EPC companies, and so we buy the panels from Mitsubishi, Sanyang, you know, Kurosera, and then you know install up there in Tibet. That's so interesting. Trina at the time was an integrator, and this formed essentially the seed capital and experience to to eventually move into panel manufacturing. Is it true that uh, at one point, Mr. Gao tried to hire you and you joked that uh, his company didn't didn't make enough money to hire you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, back to the time, you know, be, be frank with you, that the solar was not that, you know, rich and, uh, you know, sizable. Um, and the most of the companies are smaller companies, uh, you know, just startups. And uh, um, the market was not ready. Um, you remember the German fitting truth uh, policy came out right around like 2004, um, you know. And uh, um, so before that, you know, even if you do have the manufacturer, it's pr you probably can only do smaller projects like I mentioned, you know, 50K, 100K. And uh, people have to think about how to get their investment back because there's no incentives. <laughs> Right. So yeah, Trina was uh, really small and, uh, you know, since, since we've been to get, you know, Tibet together and, uh, he's been keep on asking me to, you know, join the company. I was joking with him. I said, my company make more than you do and how you'd be able to afford me. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I love um, that. yeah, I mean, and then the next 25 years I've been serving Trina. You know, before that I know. Yeah. Right. So what's, what ultimately, uh, seduced you to, to say yes to Mr. Gao? Yeah, so so 2004, that was the year I remember that the one, you know, uh, Japan, Germany, all came up with a very attractive, you know, programs, European yeah. is ready for solar. And so, um, you know, Germany guys came out to the world and buying out every panel, every piece of the panel they can find. Um, and uh, so that was the time really ignite the whole industry going forward. And uh, a lot of investors are looking for the opportunities, but uh, they don't know how to do it. Um, on the other hand, you know, a lot of uh, Chinese entrepreneurs, they, you know, uh, they do have experience uh, like, uh, you know, Dr. Xi, for, you know, later founded Suntech and, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Zhao, he founded CEG, you know, Sonergy and uh, same thing as Trina. Um, and, uh, um, I, I, I remember that was the time I had a, you know, a conversation with Mr. Gao and we would discuss about this trend. We all agreed this is a very good opportunity. The solar is ready to take off. And, uh, um, and he also mentioned, you know, so I asked him, you know, oh, what do you need? He said, yeah, we're lacking two major things. One is we're lacking of the money, of course, you know, we need the, you know, uh, the investors to uh, to support us, um, you know, to buy all the advanced technology equipments and uh, um, and uh, the other one is uh, raw materials, um, right? You know, the uh, polysilicon. Yeah. Later, I know that uh, you know, um, almost uh, back to that time, there are majority six or seven mm -hmm. big poly makers in the world. Uh, that's already been washed out after semiconductor up and downs, you know. So Hemlock, REC, Walker, MEMC, Mitsubishi, yeah. I remember five of them are located in U.S. Only, you know, one in Germany, one in Japan. 
Yeah. yeah. And none of them in China. And uh, 95 or 99% of the polysilicon, you know, produced are supporting semiconductor. Right. And uh, barely about 1%. And the most of the solar are still using the reclaimed materials, uh, recycled materials, uh, the pot scraps, the slabs, or, you know, wow. from semiconductor. Scraps, yeah, what you could get. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean. Um, so, the, and, so the objective for Mr. Gao is, Stephen, I need you to help me find polysilicon. Yeah. You know, two major tasks, you know, uh, is one is to find the materials, the other one is to find the funding. And both of them are actually not in China. Uh, you know, it's actually outside China. Yeah. And uh, so I was the first employee holding a U.S. passport. Uh, matter wow. of fact, uh, as the, as the. Take know, that, Jim uh, Day. <laughs> yeah, well, Jim Day was like. You know, <laughs> a years, years later. Pay years later. I know, actually. but he's he always said it. he was the first U.S. employee. I just love it. <laughs> Which yeah. may or may not be true, but I mean, first U.S. passport is uh, is categorically that yeah. is held by you. I love that. Yeah, and uh, so not only the U.S. passport. I, actually, I was the first foreigner they hire. You know, oh wow, um, you're the first foreign employee at all. Yeah. So that's funny that you, as a Chinese uh, natural citizen, are also considered a foreigner because you hold a dual passport. We don't. I, I mean, there, China and the U.S. cannot hold the dual citizenship. Ah, you know, okay. So, so I have to give up my Chinese citizen uh, and join uh, naturalized in U.S. When did you do that? We didn't talk about that. Yeah, 97, 98. So while right after college. Right. Wow. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. That's for another conversation, Stephen. We're going to have to, <laughs> because that, for that, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. So you became a U.S. citizen while you were a college student. Yeah, at, at the end of the college, I, I sure. still remember uh, one of the on-campus interview. I in you know I joined one of the ten with the CIA, and uh, so at the end of the interview, I asked them, you know, oh, I didn't know CIA don't you know uh, start to recruit the foreigners. Uh, he said, you don't have a U.S. passport? No, I I said I only have a green card. Oh, he said, no, we cannot. We, we require the U.S. citizen. So you can come back three years later. You know, wow. yeah. How cool. Uh, so that was the thing that sparked you saying, well, I need to get the citizenship. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you know, not the only one. I, sure, I love U.S. I love NBA. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I guess that the family also carries a lot of traditions about yeah. that, you know. So in 2005, Mr. Gao says, I need you to get on a plane, go to San Francisco. Which, for those who know Simicon, which is held at, in Moscone every year, he asked you to take a trip. This is the first, I think, the first trip out to kind of start on these two objectives, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, Semicon uh, West, well, mm -hmm. that's what it calls every, every July uh, time, summertime in Moscone Center uh, of San Francisco. And it's one of the semiconductor conferences. And the back to that time, solar was, uh, I, I don't remember I saw any of the solar booths over there. This <laughs> is a 2005. Yeah. And uh, so I carried that mission from Mr. Gao saying, we're looking for the material, we're looking for the founder, uh, you know, uh, founder race. And uh, uh, so I went to Semicon and, uh, you know, due to the visa issue, he could not come back to that time, you know. And so, so I can, um, but I don't know, you know, who 
from the semiconductor is willing to work with solar, uh, who has the materials that we are looking for. So I literally went through all the, you know, 8,000 plus booths uh, in those two and a half days. Uh, went from booth to booth and check on, you know, uh, we're a small solar company just started and we're looking for polysilicon. Um, you know, um, you know, is there anything that we can do together? You know, so, so yeah, I mean, that was the beginning of my journey with the, with the solar industry, also with Trina. Fascinating. And for those who remember InterSolar being co-located with Simicon, I found an article from 2009 and the title is Simicon Sinks InterSolar Source. Just to give everyone context, so InterSolar being at that time still and is still today one of the largest solar conferences in the world held in uh, Munich in Germany. They had opened up uh, in San Francisco, I think 2008 and by 2009, from 2005, no solar vendors, 2009, InterSolar was being hailed as the savior of Simicon because all the solar folks were coming in, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you, it's, you know, we evidence the whole transition. Absolutely. I, I mean, we evidence this whole fast growth of, of a solar industry. Um, you know, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I still remember that uh, there used to be a solar dedicated conference called Photon. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first year is either 2005 or 2006 at the beginning of the 2006, and it was hosted in Sofitel in Munich. Yeah. And the roughly about 100, 200 people joined that you know, conference. And then the next year, uh, they still host that in Sofitel. And this time over 400, 500 people joined. Mm. So the, the year after, I believe it was 2007, and they have to move to the Munich Conference Center because yes. it's growing bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, uh, that year, definitely over you know, a thousand visitors, you know, uh, joined the conferences. And now you go to any of the, I, I, I think we just finished the Las Vegas RE Plus conferences. Mm-hmm. I heard that's over 50,000 visitors uh, you know, to join the conference. Yeah. And that's and only the, you know, one of the conferences in U.S. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's, fa- what's fascinating about that is I find um, it's all contextual, right? Because in the U.S. it's hailed as the largest solar conference, but uh, InterSolar is 300,000 attendees. Mm-hmm. And how many attendees for SNEC, the Chinese version? Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it got to be like uh, double the size. Yeah, yeah, easily a half a million. Yeah, how, because it, at SNEC, I understand that there are more buildings than you could get through in the week. And uh, and it's, it's what, something like 50,000 vendors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? it's yeah, and nowadays, if you wanted me to go through all the booths, it's just impossible. Yeah, it's physically impossible, yeah. yeah. Man, you know, I have a question. It's more an observation of Chinese business culture that I think is quite different from the U.S. with the exception of U.S. family businesses. And that is that any of us who got involved in the solar industry at the time that Trina and others were um, were coming around, uh, LDK is a great example, were in- encountered very young entrepreneurs with a tremendous amount of responsibility and roles, right? CEO of LDK was in his 20s. How do you manage that responsibility? And what do you owe that to? Because, I mean, I'll give you another example. 
the lady, I remember meeting the lady who's now running um, Franklin uh, WH's marketing. She can't be older than 25, 27. Um, very bright, very composed, uh, taking on way more responsibility. You see this in tech right now, but we're talking before the tech industry boomed, there was this kind of like shouldering responsibility at a super young age. Could you talk a bit about that from a cultural perspective? Well, you know, the last 30 years from, you know, end of the 80s all the way to the WRO entrance at the beginning of the 2020, uh, you know, 2020, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, it gives the opportunities to Chinese um, unlimited, you know, generally speaking, all the things are going so well. It really, regardless of the age, it really, mm -hmm. regardless of where you came from, uh, whether you are rich or, you know, but every possible things, you can find a market and you can get it grow so fast. As a matter of fact, if you are scaling up slower, then you will be washed out ruthlessly, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, so I, I, I don't see the age is the it's it's a barrier. Um, okay. On the other hand, I do think because the solar was growing so fast um, that uh, there are so many talents join, you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's you know um, the wave push you going forward once you decide, you know, uh, that you want to jump into the wave. Yeah. Um. So, um, you know, I I, I still remember that we. Uh, you know, Trina won, you know, IPO uh, in 2006 to uh, New York Stock Exchange. Um, we actually barely prepared for the IPO for NYSE less than a year. The reason for that is at the beginning of 2006, we thought we would not qualify for NYSE. And uh, um, it need a tracking record of seven years, profitable, marginable business, uh, you know, all those record. And we will prepare for NASDAQ. And uh, and then the NYSE commissioner came over to China and invite us and say, we want to help you to be the number one, number two. As a matter of fact, the Suntech was already the number one. And uh, so um, they came to invite us, say, you know, join NYC and, uh, you know, we're going to help you, you know, to achieve that, you know, solar is so hot and, uh, you know, um, everything is possible, <laughs> you know, so I yeah. guess once you decide that you're going to jump into the wave, you ride the wave and you're going to have more and more people to join from all the other industry because solar was, uh, yeah. you know, such a short history. There was no, you know, solar gurus back then, you know, no. except to some scientists, right? You know, right. Uh, they were you all know, there's no that, right? entrepreneurs. And, uh, um, you know, so I, I remember in the early days, uh, you know, our HR, you know, asked me, you know, here is a, you know, job description and, uh, you know, I would start to hire. And I looking at it, one of the terms is five years of solar, you know, experience. I said, we don't have people have you know, five years of solar experience. You better remove that. You know, we welcome all the talents coming from semiconductor, coming from electronics, coming from, you know, you know, all, all, all over the place, you know. Um, so that's, uh, that's amazing, you know. But on the other hand, you also see these kind of, uh, 
young age. Uh, you mentioned about the president of uh, LDK and mm -hmm. some of the, you know, first-time entrepreneur or um, once things are growing so fast because they are so passionate. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times they cannot balance themselves. Yeah, and uh, they cannot. You know, some of the good ones, um, they are dedicated to the business, and uh, but they become so ambitious. So sometimes they get ahead of themselves. They always want to be number one. They always want to be, you know, super big. And the, some of the, you know, people are getting rich too fast. I, I do remember Solar did make two or three top, you know, richest guy. Yeah, in, billionaires, in, yeah. In China. Mm -hmm. Not only billionaires, but the top. But like richest wrecked. in China. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, eventually they didn't last that long. Yeah. You know, for all kind of reasons, but I, I do think, you know, is sometimes they never seen this fast growing and uh, therefore they cannot control mm -hmm. uh, the pace. They yeah. cannot build their foundation solid. They cannot balance between their ambitious, you know, goals and the, the you, you need a solid foundation to build all the things, you know, upon that, you know, so... So if you too ahead of yourself, a lot of times that could causing the disaster. Also, you know, sooner or later that will come back. You know, it might not eat you when the market is good. The demand is, you know, if the demand is, you know, hot, and then it covers all the flaw that you made. So during this time, you need to be extremely careful to try to, you know, cover not cover. You know, try to build things in order to make sure those gaps are keep on filling. If you don't, then sooner or later, when the market is down, it's going to come back to hit you. You were among the earliest employees, less than 100 people, maybe 200 people when you joined Trina. And you've been, you've literally ridden the wave, uh, gone in and out uh, of work with Trina over the last 20 years. What do you attribute to Trina's success where others have failed in regards to what you just discussed? Well, I, I think first thing that we have to learn really fast, you know, um, you know, all through the last two decades of the solar uh, history, you keep on seeing the new technology. You know, I, I still remember at the beginning, it was the casting uh, multi-crystalline technology that was even happened after the monocrystalline, because semiconductor used the monocrystalline technology first, right? You know, so automatically solar carry over the history. And then, you know, people develop the multi-crystalline, which is less pure of the material processing, but you'd be able to get, you know, uh, mass productions, you know, uh, because of the monocrystalline, each charge, each feed can only go with 80 kilograms. You know, I still remember. So your ingots can only pull this long and this big. And the casting, you know, which is multi-crystalline, the new technology developed by the GT Solar, um, you know, yeah. can do like one ton, two ton each charge. Yeah. So you can imagine the output of March, you know, exponentially growth. And then, you know, in the last couple of years, they come back to the mono because, you know, the cost of the mono job, you know, very significantly, therefore, and also the continuous, you know, pooling of the ingots that significantly reduce the cost. But on the other hand, monocrystalline do have the higher efficiency, uh, you know, uh, because it's pure material. Um, and, uh, 
you know, and then the perk technology, bifacial, and uh, you know, now, you know, ingots is getting very close to the semiconductor, as you you see, you know, Trina is one of the those pioneers to use twelve inch, you know, ingots now, right? And uh, you know, two ten technology, and uh, we have the Topcon, we have the AJT in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, things are moving so fast. You keep on seeing all those new stuff almost every day, and then yeah. you keep on. You know, seeing, um, you know, new people, and which I do think solar does give a huge advantage to the solar solar players yeah. that they never had the chance of same equal opportunities compared with other industries because the other industries probably will take, you know, twenty years or thirty years to reach that level. And uh, for example, if I'm still in IBM, you know, I probably have to, you know, work there for I don't know. If I'm ambitious, I might be a a director level, you know, in twenty years. And uh, but in solar, it gives you the chance to talk with the VP of JP Morgan, talk with the you know uh, the 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 president of QCell, you know, the you know um, the chance to talk with all the Big people, high people, um, and uh, deal with the big companies that you never can think of: Exxon, Mobile, Shell, and BP Solar, and uh, you know now Nextera, NRG, which is Clearway. I mean, all those big utility companies. If you in other industries, that's just impossible. But because of the renewables and the solars, that caught everybody's attention. Everybody is joining. So it 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 does, you know, have a good combination of both the big guys and their business experience, and also the new guys brings a lot of creativities, a lot of a entrepreneurship and uh, innovation. Um, so I, I I definitely do think that's how, you know, solar be able to grow that fast, you know, in such a short time. Your first tenure at Trina lasted about eight years. Help them to help them go public all the way through 2013. You and I mentioned overlapped very briefly, and then you left Trina to go to a company that probably those who understand the the vertical infrastructure in the industry recognize a company named GCL. Um, certainly, those of our friends in Latin America would re- represent would recognize GCL more readily. Uh, talk about your transition away from Trina, your eventual semi retirement from Solar, and then sort of. Uh, being called back into duty, active duty at Trina. Yeah, like I said, the uh, I was taking care of uh, Trina's overseas business at the beginning, and then majority focus on the polysilicon supply chain, and uh, that uh, was all the way until 2011, uh, when the economy crunches happened uh, in 2000, 2009, 2010. And then the supply is not an issue anymore, you know. Um, that uh, um, I told Mister Guy, I'm gonna build a supply chain system that you don't have to worry about polysilicon for the next ten years. Um, it it was, uh, you know, quite a coincidence that uh, you know two years ago we had a you know supply issue again. <laughs> that uh, was ah, two thousand twenty twenty, right? Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> ten years later. And then, you know, because the supply chain is not a major issue anymore. So um, I'm more interested into the downstream side, you know, so I took 
um, you know, since Andy Crumb left the company, I actually took over the business development department. And from right. there, I founded Trina's downstream development, what we call the PD, project development yeah. department. So we start to, you know, invest into the downstream side, um, you know, um, in Europe, in US. And uh, well, that also runs well. We successfully built a project, you know, a, a group of project, uh, roughly about 40 gigawatt, uh, 40 megawatt, you know, uh, in Europe, in Italy mm -hmm. and Spain. And, and then, you know, successfully, you know, sold that to Barclay, I believe. Um, right. You know, that was uh, 2012. And uh, um, and forty megawatts sounds nothing right now, but it was back huge, to that yeah. time it was it's quite big you know, because yeah, that's the largest was, for context. It, the some of the largest projects in the U.S. at that time were in the sub twenty megawatt range. Exactly, and the total investment is huge. Actually, you know, because the system was like four dollar, four euro per watt, and so forty megawatt is way over a hundred. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, hundred million you know, uh, euros already. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so because of that, we actually build the relationship with the, you know, CBB bank and, uh, with other investors, uh, we build the relationship with all the, uh, local, uh, legal firms, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, meal bank in us and, mm -hmm. you know, so all, all those building early the ecosystem. Guys, yeah. Right. Exactly. And, uh, Trina came from manufacturing. Um, and so the downstream business. It's a little bit mismatch with the upper stream module business. Um, for example, you know, upper stream want as lightweight as possible, but the downstream is more asset management. You keep on building the project, you keep, keep on accumulate the asset. So you translate a one-time capex into a long-term investment returns. And that doesn't match with Trina's, you know, uh, financial report, you know, our requirements. And uh, so, so um, it cannot come into your, you know, uh, main source of the income. And uh, so Wall Street was not very happy about that, you know. So um, the company, of, of course, every quarter's earning call, you do see a, you know, a portion of those resources has been carved out and uh, you don't see that comes back. And on the other hand, with more and more pipelines being built, more assets has been accumulated on your book. Um, you know, so the depth ratio become higher. And so, so that was a time that, uh, you know, Trina decided to slow down the downstream side and the GCL happened to be very aggressive, you know, um, into that direction, you know, for those years. Um, so I, I was only in GCL for a short period, uh, maybe a little bit less than two years, uh, mm. in their San Francisco office. Uh, I was the CEO heading off their, uh, you know, overseas uh, uh, project development. Can, for those who are unfamiliar, can you characterize GCL as a company? Like, who are they? Yeah, they are probably one of the biggest private utility company in China. As you know, you know, most of the utility company is actually owned by the state in China. Yeah. And, they, and they, own, they own a lot of hydro, right? No, they own no? Uh, coal file. Yeah. Coal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The hydro okay. is the the other guy, uh, Hanergy. Hanergy, that's right, Hanergy, yeah. 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 yeah, So, and GCL also, um, at that time, were they getting into um, silicon and polysilicon manufacturing? Yes, yes. Uh, we've been knowing him because they were the first polysilicon maker in China that came out mm -hmm. in 2009, maybe 2008. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the, we are the first company to sign up with them. Um, in matter of fact, I signed up with you know my team because I was wor- working on the procurement, right? So that's how how uh, Chairman Drew and I start to know each other. And uh, so um, he, you know, after Polysilicon and Wafer, they start to you know invest more to the downstream side because they know their all all their customers are module players, so they don't want to compete with their customers. So they jump directly to the downstream side, saying, "Okay, if I have the you know, the downstream project, I can buy the panels from my customers so it can, you know, link upper stream, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the downstream. So that was the reason I, I, I joined the company and uh, because they are more ambitious and more aggressive. And I, you know, I, I think they are, they came from utility background. So they definitely know how to play asset management and their balance sheet definitely can fit. And uh, so, so that's the time I joined, you know, I think that's uh but be frankly with you, back to that time, I thought I've already seen most of the things from solar. You know, I was on the procurement side. I was, uh, you know, on the fundraising side. I was on the business development side. I was on the downstream side, project development. Um, you know, so so I thought I've done everything. I thought I've seen everything. I start to lose the the steam a little bit because, you know, all those years, as you can imagine, it's super busy, you know, with the solar speed. So, so I was already thinking about, you know, retiring from solar or at least take a break. Um, you know, so, so once, you know, GCL, um, you know, GCL has their problems. Um, you know, so later, uh, the project development side didn't go very well, uh, running out, out of the money. And to start to significantly, you know, shrinking the business. Um, there was a time uh, I decide, uh, you know, to, you know, take a break. And so, so I went to be a teacher. Um, you know, wow. um, I do the volunteer teaching work in the, you know, uh, in the rural areas in Yunnan. Teach the middle school, high school, uh, elementary school, and teaching those, uh, you know, poor kids. My purpose is also to let those uh, people never even stepping out of their you know city to see what the outside world looks like. You know, so I I build the network to let them talk with the you know foreign kids or you know uh, outside kids every every week, and uh, you know I introduce them different cu- curriculums. Uh, not only the 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 things they can learn academically in China, which you know is pretty tough, um, but also to introduce them, you know, uh, the U.S. movies, the the songs, uh, music, mm. and the space technology, and, uh, uh, you know, all, all, all kind of things, you know. So yeah. that, that actually, I really enjoyed that, you know. And then, you know, um, I was the principal also for uh, international school, which is partially founded by Trina, um, and uh, it was a you know uh, international school that teaches uh, the Cambridge curriculums uh, all the mm-hmm. way from kindergarten to the uh, grade twelve uh, senior year. Um, the original purpose is you know because we have more and more foreign workers uh, you know coming from all over the place. So you know Trina want to invite their families also to yeah. be you know. Uh, 
relocated to, you know, closer to their work. Um, and so we built that school, you know, accordingly. Um, wow. And Trina, I think Trina- That's amazing. Takes about 30% of the investment and then the local government in China, in order to run a school, you have to get the local government support. You know, sure. so they takes about 70%, uh, you know, of the stack. Um, and later one, you know, international school running into some issues that, you know, in the last five years, the political environment really changed uh, a lot. Um, and uh, um, I won't say it runs backwards, but at least, you know, I, I can't touch too much details, you know, on so that. I topic. get it. I get it. Yeah. So eventually, you know, Trina sold the stack back to the government. Um, right. And, uh, you know, and that was around 2018. 2017, yeah. 2017, okay. 2018, you're right. Yeah. 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 And there was a time actually, you know, I, I you know, uh, the good thing about the teacher is also that you do get two holidays, right? You know, so, so uh, my son at that time was uh, right, you know, in the high school and uh, I actually took my son back to China um, and just let him learn Chinese first because I do think Chinese is a harder language. <laughs> And he didn't come back. He was born in Austin, Texas. And then he was sent to China around year two and took all the school over there. I didn't even send him to the international school, just go to the public school and, uh, you know, learn the true Chinese, you know, with, you know, all the Chinese kids. And, uh, and he didn't come back until grade five, you know. Um, wow. Yeah. So he came back for the middle school and, uh, so, so 2018 was, uh, you know, he was just getting to the middle school. And, uh, so we took a summer vacation. We normally take summer vacations, um, you know, uh, for a couple of months, uh, you know, just my son and me, and this time with my wife, um, we were traveling to Iceland and then came back to Canada. We were driving, you know, um, back from, you know, uh, Vancouver back to California. And, uh, and then Mr. Gao called again and, uh, uh, that was, uh, yeah, the summer of 2018, you know, yeah. if you remember 2018 was the first year that Trump administration, you know, come up with the 201 tariff, you know, 30% so yeah. of the tariff all of a sudden job. And uh, that significantly, that almost killed the market. You know, yeah. um, plus, you know, that was almost the end of the ITC. So people yeah. bought a lot of safe harbor in 2017. Mm -hmm. And so 2018 was really, really bad, you know, for the market. The market almost shaped down, I believe, you know, lower than seven gigawatt for that year, you know, compared with almost 15 gigawatt the year before in 2017, you know, so you know, shifting to half. And, uh, you know, so a lot of manufacturer being forced to sh either shut down or suspend it. And uh, the inventory was really high, the price dropped like, uh, you know, hell. And, uh, and uh, well, the thing is, even with the price drop, you leave 30% of the tariff onto it. So the customer end up with the higher, you know, cost of the modules. Right. And the, neither seller or buyer can take advantage. 30% you pay the tariff already. <laughs> and uh, so that was the time the market was really down. And so Mr. Gao called me again uh, during the summer. And uh, because I was one of the 
earlier founder for the U.S.、Right. office in here back in 2010. Want to see if I I I'm still interested in solar and、uh, you know. He knows I have the passion about the solar. I I definitely、yeah. don't want to see the U.S. market, especially which is my home, you know,、uh, yeah. country, to fail、uh, onto the solar. And so, so, so at the end of the year, October, I I came back and、uh, you know,、um, start to going through everything step by step.、Um, luckily, the market rebounded. That's how actually. Solid the solar industry is, you know. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how many rounds of up and downs and fluctuations, people find a solution. Not only you know everybody working together to find a solution. Buyers, sellers, EPC, financer, PPA guys, you know, everybody come to find the solution. One regulation changes all of a sudden, you know, which we saw this lethal. Right, you know, to the industry. No, it actually inspire people to be more creative,、um, you know, to, in order to find a solution.、Um, so that's how to, you know, the market bounced back, you know, really fast. And、uh, you know, I still remember 2018 when I came back. The whole year, China sold about 440 mega megawatt. Wow. And the、uh, 220, 240 was actually. You know, after I came back in October, so basically Q four, two hundred twenty, and then the whole first three quarters was only barely two hundred megawatt. Yeah, and、uh, because of that, you know, we had a shutdown, and the team only have about you know around ten people left. So I have to restructure things. Most of the team,、um, you know, we we got a couple of the the good people left.、Uh, our legal, our You know, utility current head.、Um, you know, all those people has already been Trina、uh, and Trina US for more than almost ten years, right?、Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know,、uh, we invited a lot of new talents to join the team. So, yeah. So,、um, so every year since two thousand eighteen, we've been growing, coming back really statically.、Yeah. Uh, I remember two thousand nineteen, we did. Roughly about one point nine gigawatt, and then two thousand twenty, we did two point two, two point four, and、uh, this year we're gonna ship almost five、uh, gigawatt to the U.S. We are actually number one,、uh, you know, in terms of the importation volumes、uh, into the U.S. this year. You have to consider the last three years was the abnormal market situation. You know, we had the COVID. We had,、uh, you know,、um, you know, logistic congestions. We have the supply chain chaos. We have the regulation change, and right, you know, with the now with the UFLPA, WRO, you know,、uh, so many things happen in the in the in the in the last three years. But China has been China US has been growing statically, very, you know,、uh, from year to year. I'm so proud of my team. Yeah, it's a you have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, and、uh, you know, fun fun side note, I was hired the day after, started the day after John Della Piazza,、mm. and uh, he always uh, I won't use the exact words he uses, but he always calls me the new guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, he is.、Oh, what a good hand that guy.、Uh, seriously, John, I know if you're listening to this, man,、uh, you're you're one of the good guys, one of the legends that people really appreciate in the industry, and and he's. Um, he's been one of the the steady 
team members that's been been there since 2000, what, 11, 2011? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I think that's one of the advantages uh, that Trina has, that mm -hmm. uh, we like localization. We like mm -hmm. internationalization. As you can see, that uh, compared with some other, you know, uh, Asian, you know, suppliers, Trina's style is always to give the region as autonomy as possible. Also, we authorize the region to make most of the business decision effectively and efficiently locally here, you know. So that's why we have a full functional team here instead of just a sales office. You know, we right. have legal, we have HR, we have operation, we have logistic, everything are handling in here, which we do believe is the best service to our customer. Um, yeah. And it's the best way to understand the market. And the, because you have to locate in here, you have to live in here, you have to right. deal with day-to-day -day operation, have the hands-on work, talk with the customer all the time. You know, we currently we have about 80 people uh, in the U.S. All of them are U.S. citizens. All of wow. them are resident in here. Team. It's all yeah. over the country. Uh, we, unlike, you know, some other, you know, Chinese companies that they, you know, some, the leader are actually living in China or in Singapore. But in here, everything happens here. Um, yeah, so... So uh, we believe it's much more effective way to understand the market first and then to run the, you know, to win the trust with the customer. You have to be with the customer in order to feel their pants when the market is down and enjoying their, you know, uh, success, you know, uh, when the market is good, right? You know, so, so we're so proud of that structure and we're trying to expand that as you can see, you know, so, so with this new U.S. manufacturer, we're going to bring, uh, you know, almost 15, over 1500, you know, jobs. And our U.S. team, management team, will also grow double to 160 to 200 in next year. Um, that uh, Because not only the module divisions that we have right now, we also consolidated with our storage team, our tracker team. You know, everything will be localized in here. You know, so, so yeah, it's going to be, yes, a busy coming years. And uh, I, I, I do envision that. What a tremendous growth story. And, you know, you know, I would, I would wager that most folks, I didn't know until this call, uh, most folks would likely be surprised to find that you are a U.S. citizen. And um, even I, who worked at, at Trina a decade ago, a little under, uh, am surprised to hear 80 employees. I feel like there's, th those are metrics that folks don't really know or understand about the way that Trina and probably others who are looking at you as an example and following suit are uh, really adopting a localization culture. Um, I'm really glad that you pointed that out. There's something else that is core to the sort of the philosophy of Trina that I want to point to, and that's the name. Can you explain Trina in your own words? Trina is actually originally from a Chinese philosophy, the Taoism, the yin yang feng shui, and the uh, that in order to be successful in anything, in your career, in your business, that you have to have three basic elements, which is the right timing and the right location and right people, you know. So what we call the sky is the timing and the earth is the location and the people in the middle, you know. So 
Those are the three basic elements that、uh, you know eventually conduct to a successful, you know, story or career or business. And so that's why you know,、um, you know, we call ourselves Trina, which is Trinity from China.、Um, you know, that unified those three basic elements,、um, and、uh, you know, that's also aligned with you know Trina's. You know,、uh, mission and vision that we always try to be customer centric. We always try to be localized.、Um, we always try to be, you know,、um, integrity. You know, to our to our customers, we're very dedicated to our,、uh, you know,、uh, the 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 what what we're doing and commit to.、Mm. And、uh, well, in the right industry, we are, you know, with the good timing. I was, you know. Tell、uh, you know our team that、uh, you know I don't expect that we can win every market situation. You know because、yeah. solar is very famous for its fluctuations, and、uh, you don't beat the market. You, but I want to make sure that what we are doing every day in here, and also plan for the future, that we will be the last one to survive. And first one to recover when the market、mm. recovers. Wow! Yeah. So, so I I won't say you know that、uh, everybody can predict can be the fortune teller for the market. You know that's just almost impossible. Otherwise, why don't we just go directly buy the stock, right? You know. Yeah. Um. But I I do think every little piece in here、uh, that what we do right now, for example, um. Module has become more and more commodity, and also this round of the module technology, the efficiency-wise of the cell and module is almost reaching a roof already. You know,、uh-huh. so it's, you know, it used to be module efficiency is only about nine percent, ten percent twenty years ago, and now、right. it's twenty-three, twenty-four percent already. Yeah, but it's reaching a end. Yeah. The technology, the silicon-based technology, can only reach this high, you know. So your improved room can be, you know, twenty-three point eight, twenty-four point two. It's not going to be a huge differences anymore. The rooms are left are getting less and less. So this run of the technology to make the module bigger that we used to deal with. Two hundred watt panels or three hundred、mm-hmm. watt panels. Now we are dealing with you know our new N type can reach six hundred you know watt panels, and、right. the next year the N type twenty one came out, it can reach seven hundred watt panels. The majority of those advantages of this run of the technology evolving. Majority are contribute not only to the module itself; it's actually contribute more to the system. Yeah, with the bigger module, the power density is better, so that you can use less BOS, you can use less tracker, occupy less land, and your LCOE can be lower. We need more engineers,、um, you know, to targeting those solutions. You know, certainly do to find the best way to make the system working better. Giving example that you probably know, Trina bought a tracker company, Uncliff,、um, mm-hmm. five years ago, and it took us a while to integrate those things together. The reason that we brought 
bought a tracker company is not to have a head-on-head competition with Next Tracker or ATI. Um, you know, I, I I've been knowing Dan Sugar for for quite some time. You know, since the beginning right. when the power oh, lines, yeah. right? You know, and uh, I respect him a lot because he's very dedicated to the LCOE and the tracker technology. Also, we believe there's still things that we can do in order to contribute that. Why? The module and tracker are so close to each other that I call the four categories that we definitely can do better. One is the product compatibilities. You know, so EPC companies normally buy the modules and buy the records separately. Um, and later they find out, okay, I need an actual drill hole on the frame. Uh, you know, the snow load is not fitting very well. And the uh, ring resistance, you know, how to make the tracker better work with the module, you know. But generally speaking, these kind of product compatibilities has can can be better designed into the structure at the early stage in the product production phase, right? So that's why we think, you know, with the tracker and the module handled by the same company, that we be able to embed a lot of the technology into the design to make the product compatibility much better in the future. Same thing as the supply chain management, that uh, people buying the module in the market based on whatever the availability the supplier offered to them, they buy the tracker also from ATI. But unfortunately, ATI said, I don't have the availability in December. I can only do next uh, April. On the other hand, the module guys tell you, oh, I don't have next April or May delivery. I only have January delivery. So the customer end up to buy bought the module. You know, they don't have any choice. They have to buy the they module. modules in a warehouse waiting for trackers. Yeah, waiting yeah. for the trackers. You know, with our, what we call the Trina Pro solution that we get, we're going to streamline those, you know, supply chain, uh, you know, delivery schedules for the customer to significantly lower your warehousing fees and uh, increasing your installation efficiencies. And same thing as, uh, you know, uh, project financing, you know, with Trina bankable to both our tracker and a module, and we're going to make the whole Trina Pro bankable, you know, so the bank can rely on Trina's liabilities uh, in order for the whole project easier to get financed. So that's, yeah. you know, and and the after-sale service, instead of blaming module guys saying, it's not my problem, or the right. tracker guys saying, oh, how did you guys do it? you know, Trina become a one-stop service, you know, to those solutions. So that's how we see it's not only module that matters. And now we bring the storage also into the game, you know, so we believe we can contribute a lot to the industry more, you know, in terms of this overall, you know, uh, solution business, you know, so that's also one of the directions we're trying to, you know, trying to do. So that's why we need, you know, more than double the team and, uh, you know, uh, and and I said, you know, module manufacturer is only the first step and uh, we're going to bring tracker, we're going to bring the storage, we're going to bring the whole ecosystem over. I want to just comment on what you just uh, outlined. The reason specifically, I know that there are a lot of detractors in the marketplace for any downstream or, or cross-stream development of the traditional module manufacturers into other products. It started with not, you know, Trina's long had this from, from Trina Mount. And, um, you know, we, we had this discussion a decade ago, all of your peers have dabbled with 
storage and other products to introduce. And there's always sort of grumbling in the marketplace of like, stay in your lane, that kind of thing. But the way that you just described the four categories, candidly, is the best I've heard at enunciating the value proposition of a manufacturer with a balance sheet like Trina for downstream product development. In particular, uh, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with Enclave, they have a, they had a giant footprint in um, Europe and in Latin America, uh, been around for a while. One thing that I guess uh, I'm, I'm, assume, I'm assuming here Trina brings to that product is the deep bench of R&D, which is something that I think folks don't n- inherently um, sort of connect the dots, right? Like your ability from the deep uh, well of project development experience at Trina, um, which Trina is not the only manufacturer that has that, but certainly has a huge portfolio of projects that have been developed in-house. Um, and the ability to apply what I still think is still probably the largest R&D budget towards improving a product that was in the marketplace that was performing and and had some had areas where it could be improved. So I just wanted to, I want to underline and underscore that for folks that are listening because um, you know this well well it I mean I I've just really enjoyed the nature of the conversation of getting to dig into the history of a company like Trina that for me is one of the legacy solar manufacturers of our time um, because you've been uh, long long suffering in the market. Um, and a clear leader in market development and first to recover, to your point, um, and your ability to preserve capital on the balance sheet and even taking the company back private to be able to do the things that you wanted to do with that capital um, is what allows you to position yourself with new product introductions and with manufacturing uh, at a, in a way that I think few of your peers can do. And I would say maybe very few of your peers can accomplish. We're trying, we're trying. Yeah, and uh, my point is always that uh, you have to really understand the business. You have to really dedicate yourself into the business to understand not only yourself, but also your customer, but also your service providers, also understand the EPCs. You know, a lot of Chinese companies are good at selling the products are good at the manufacturing at the low cost, but they are not very cultural centric. You know, so when they move out of China and try to sell into other, you know, customers who doesn't even speak Chinese. You know, for example, US is very appreciate engineering values. You know, uh, really that's why Tracker is well adapted in the US market. Um, but other, you know, Chinese is very cost centric, you know, so that you see a really cheap, you know, system cost in China, you barely see that in here. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that kind of additional engineering and we have the good software, good management team, O&M team that can guarantee the performance of the system, uh, instead of just, you know, cheap systems, which is very necessary in China because most of the downstream projects are owned by the state companies. I mean, so they care a lot about about budget, right? You know, so they have to fit. And whether the system is performing good or bad, it's none of their business and they don't even care. I I mean, so it's a a different mentality and it's different um, values we are chasing after. So 
So we have to understand, you know, uh, each different country and each different policy set and each different customers so that we be able to provide the best value to them instead of just the cheapest product. I'm so grateful for the, not only the depth of understanding that I've gained uh, by going through this conversation with you and and how much you've been willing to transparently share about the process. Um, as we as we turn the corner here to kind of, as I like to say, towards home base to wrap the interview, I'd like to dig in a bit a bit more into your own personal development. You've been a tremendous leader in the industry. You've got an opportunity to lead multiple teams. You've also had an opportunity to be mentored and uh, be peers with great leaders. When you think about advice or mentorship that have been provided to you or even guidance in your own career as you reflect on that is there anything that served for you as foundational insight that in hindsight it's the kind of thing that you often share in your teams anything that someone said to you that really had an impact on the direction of your career yeah if if that's a lesson learned you know, from all the, all the career, I would say um, a balance. You know, I, I give that talk in the cell tech and I give that talk before. The balance between ambition and the, the execution, right? You have to be very aggressively when you think things and the plan things, but you have to be very realistic and conservatively in terms of the execution. You cannot overcommit yourself. Whatever you say, you better fulfill those ones. Otherwise it will bring not only the damage to your customer, but also the damage to yourself, you know? And we, we saw that happen in the industry when people are over aggressive. And sometimes this balance is hard to keep. You know, if you are not ambitious and aggressive enough, sometimes, you know, um, you know, it's 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 hard to inspire your team. It's hard to persuade your customers. But on the other hand, if your execution power cannot keep up with your promise or commitment, then, you know, sooner or later that will kill you. And we saw that from the industry also. Um, so I, I want to say always balance and, uh, diversification. Um, if you saw in the early days, I mentioned there was seven poly silicon producers in the world mm -hmm. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and now only three of them left in the U S Yeah, and, uh, there used to be top players, respectful players like you know, Sontag or LDK or Ingli, and they are gone, you know. Mm -hmm. There are U.S. companies like SolarWar, Solangio, they either run into the troubles mm. or, you know, um, didn't survive. Song Edison also, you know, Song Edison was very aggressive. MEMC? Yeah, MEMC, yeah. right. You know, so I want to say, you know, when we plan things, we brainstorm, we be creative, we be ambitious, we be aggressive. When we execute it, we want to make sure that uh, 
you know, it's always a balancing between be patient. Um, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't try to run before you can walk. Um, and be reasonable, be logic, you know, um, and the, that's the best way to win the trust. Doesn't matter from your supplier or from your customer that uh, you are not only here to do this deal with them. Like I said, you know, um, it's not selling the product anymore. It's not, you know, there's still, you know, some of the companies, they are opportunisms, you know, so when the market is hot, when this year is hot, they just jump in and they do whatever they do. And later when the market is down, they are just gone. They shut their factory and let people mm -hmm. go. I don't know about other regions, at least, you know, I haven't served in other regions that much in terms of the sales, but in US, this way doesn't work. You know, people yeah. cares about credibilities. People care about their tracking record. People care about the bankabilities, you know, yeah. don't try to be an opportunity in here, you know, try to mm. think about what kind of advantages you have, what kind of core competency you have. Always keep those in mind. You know, because if you are good that you scare up, you magnify your results. If you are not good and you bigger it is, you know, riskier it is. If you are bad, bigger it is, it's just killing yourself faster. So giving a very realistic you know, um, example, you know, the current RA, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, you know, government start to give the incentive, seven cents for the module, four cents for the sale. And we got to jump in, right? You know, no matter what, we're going to borrow the money. This is kind of like uh, using the leverage to, you know, day trade your stock, you know. So today's market is good. Let's jump in everything. Let's gamble. Let's double down. That's uh, all in, you know. Um, I don't totally buy that, you know, be frankly, we, we're very enthusiastic, by the way, you know, for the RA, for the support. That's why we'd be able to land our supply, you know, first manufacturer here. And, the, but also you need a, not only the phase one plan, but also the phase two plan. What you're going to do? You also need to think about after 2020, 2030, when the RA start to stepping down, are you qualified to survive? How do you qualify to survive? Right, you know, well, we definitely believe this will inspire the U.S. market to grow significantly from the current 20, 30 gigawatt per year to maybe 80, 100 gigawatt per year. U.S. definitely need that, you know, that's for sure. You know, if we compare with our peers from China, they're doing, you know, almost 100 gigawatt, 200 gigawatt per year now. And we're way behind. But compared with Europe, we're also behind, right? You know, so so we definitely need need that. You know, but, you know, if the U.S. system cost is always like super high and the investment returns um, fluctuated are more risky with the interest hike, you know, can this kind of, you know, plan be sustainable, right? I mean, so if things happen, what is the contingency plan? What is, you can't just shut down and go, you know, <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> For any of the big companies, it's impossible, right? You know, 1,500, yeah. you know, or even more employees you got to be responsible for. 
So you have to make sure that your cost is low enough to be the last one survive in this industry. Doesn't matter, you know, up or down. Doesn't matter, good or bad. But also, you know, how you be able to drive that cost down. You you have to bring the supplier closer. You have to localize some things. You have to diversify sometimes. Also, don't only bet on one thing. So what's gonna happen if the policy change again, right? You know, so so that's why we keep on investing into Southeast Asia. We build our wafer factory over there. Uh, when the UFLPA come out, we start to use 100% of the non-Chinese poly, but we also build our, you know, Qinghai, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, big manufacturer base, which goes all the way from polysilicon to the module so that we know the traceability of everything from mine to the module that in the future we can provide all those kind of traceabilities. So as a big responsible company, we're not gonna act like those smaller opportunisms that when the market is hot, I just jump in. And we plan things ahead and we prepare for our future. We invest into our future. So we try to make our fate into our hand, you know, um, and prepare for those ones. Don't just bet on, you know, I always tell my team, you know, it doesn't matter whose guessing is right or whose guessing is wrong. Don't say I told you so. No, this kind of things is useless. You know, it's the matter of when the thing happened, do we have a way? When the good thing happened, do we have a way to catch the opportunity? When the bad thing happened, do we have the way to min minimize our, you know, impacts? You know, those are the things. I don't believe it's the 100% that covers how Trina survived to here or to win all the way now, you know, but I think that kind of nature does definitely running in our van, you know, that protect the Trina and protect the industry. You reminded me, phase two, uh, everyone is announcing the the factory openings. Uh, I don't hear a lot of uh, talk about phase, uh, multiple phases yet. Trina is vocal about exactly. not, just the, not just the first step, but the full life cycle. Can you talk about the, the phase two plan for those who haven't already uh, heard about it? We haven't officially announced the phase two, but we have already started to talk with our downstream partners, talk with the investors mm -hmm. to prepare for the sale to be manufactured in US for a couple of reasons. One is the request from the downstream customers for the future right. domestic contents requirements. Uh, the other one, of course, is that, uh, you know, sale is very fragile, you know, so, you know, instead of import the sale into the country, you know, can we make it in here? That's something that we definitely are planning for the phase two. Yeah. We also see very, a shortage of the U.S. made sale, you know, uh, in the market. Sale obviously are much harder than the module. Uh, in terms of the lead time, in terms of the technology, in terms of the yeah. capex that required, sale almost requires double the capex or sometimes even mm -hmm. more. We saw people um, claim they can do top con technology, but they, unlike Trina, um, you know, be, be frank with you, you know, I, I think in terms of the top con industrialization, Jinko and uh, Trina are the two best, most advanced that's being tested in China. 
and globally, they are already, you know, prepare Topcon for more than a year and they run in the mass production size and they ship to the customer already. And all of those give the experience that, you know, some newcomers claim they can do Topcom, but they never had a mass production in China or anywhere else. And uh, based on our experience, it took almost a year. And uh, there are other things you do require higher purity of the polysilicon, you know, uh, in order to make a better quality of the wafer to supply N-type, supply Topcom. Um, you know, if you are still using, you know, less qualified, you know, polysilicon, solar grade polysilicon, even solar grade, you have higher purity, purity right? You know, um, you know, you were running into trouble, you know, in terms of the quality control of the N-type. And that's why, you know, even, you know, um, U.S. poly is not a requirement for the domestic contents. We still sign a long-term contract with the U.S. poly suppliers because we believe in the quality. And, uh, um, and the same thing as the supply chain, you know, um, that uh, we are probably the only company has the most independent supply chain outside China, including polysilicon wafer, including some of the bombs. You know, uh, for example, if somebody claims they're going to do the cell manufacture in the U.S., where do they get the wafer from, right? You know, if you get the wafer from China, you need a traceability, right? You know, you need the UFLPA qualification. You need anti-circumvention, you know, all those kind of stuff. I, I won't comment about other people's announcement, but I don't believe mm. all the current announcement in the market eventually could be fulfilled 100%. I, I barely, I, you know, in the industry will be lucky if half of those announcements eventually can become real. That's why you have to have sustainable plans, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, for example, I mean, the, obviously different phases have different capital requirements. If you don't have a capital plans and, uh, you know, you're going to running into cash flow issues very soon. You know, um, because before you can produce, before you can earn the money back, you probably run out of the money already. You know, so so it, it is a very capital intensive, you know, uh, business to run the manufacturer. You know, so that's why its barrier is kind of high. And uh, it is not only technical driven, but also know-hows, equipment tunings, um, you know, all those little things into the manufacturer. That's why... We say Asian manufacturer currently are leading in terms of the cost control, in, in terms of the productivity. I do see some of the U.S. manufacturer that actually, you know, uh, set up the manufacturer in Southeast Asia, but they're, you know, you know, they cannot even improve their efficiency, sell efficiency. They have to ask experienced Chinese workers to come into their factory to help them to increase the efficiency, their sale efficiency. You know, I, I. I know that happened before. Steven, apart from, uh, apart from work, what do you nerd out about when you're not thinking about building the largest solar panel manufacturing company? I like to travel, you know, uh, although most of my travel are business travels. Um, I like to play sports. I like to play basketball. Um, Basketball. Yeah. Okay. Uh, although I broke my ACL three times already. <laughs> you know, oh, so wow. that's significantly, 
you know, limited my movements, but I still like to play. Um, you know, I like to play hard, obviously, as much as possible if I can, until I cannot run. And um, yeah, I I I like to read, you know, uh, engineering books. Um, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, history books. Um, yeah. I, what sort of history? Um, Chinese history or ancient Greek and uh, U.S. history. I'm I'm interested in all the histories. It's just a hobby, you know. And uh, yeah, and uh, is it what? What's something that you like to share with others that kind of shows your history buff cred? What's something that you feel is like uh, relatively should be better known about history that um, you find people just don't understand or they don't know much about? For that portion, I have to go with the Chinese history, you know, um, especially the recent, you know, uh, Chinese history. You know, I, I would say the last 50 years is a sensitive topic in China, but, uh, you know, generally speaking, that part of the history is kind of lost. And, uh, you know, people still don't, especially for foreigners, they still don't understand why the Cultural Revolution happened and, uh, you know, why it ends so sudden and uh, all those kind of things. This is a kind of forbidden topic in China, but uh, you know um, that's the portion I definitely think that people uh, have the rights to, you know, learn more about those ones, and uh, even the histories of, uh, you know, during the same period of time, uh, Korean Wars. If you're one of the uh, hundred plus people, or, or fifteen hundred in the factory, um, who Trina is bringing on board, and you get an opportunity to have dinner with Stephen, now you've got some fodder. For a conversation, um, I know. I certainly, <laughs> I certainly will be asking you more about. Um, not on the record here, so since it's a forbidden topic, uh, but I'd love to hear at some point your conversation around uh, the real story behind the Contra Revolution and why it ended so suddenly. Absolutely, uh, I do agree with you that most uh, foreigners don't understand Chinese history the yeah. the way they could uh, and and or potentially should. Yeah, but on the other hand, I was born in seventy four, and uh, you know the Cultural Revolution and at the 76, you know, so I caught the tail of it. And all through my, you know, I came to the U.S. 2003, uh, 1993. And uh, so it was a period of time that goes through the very traditional, um, you know, Cultural Revolution and then over to the, you know, gradually open door policy and, you know, gradually moving to the fast growth. Um, you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's quite a precious experience. And then also in here, I live, I, I went to school in Virginia and, uh, you know, um, and then I lived and live and worked in Texas, Austin, Texas for almost 10 years. And then on the West coast side, you know, California, now I live in Washington state. Um, you know, so, so a lot of things that, uh, um, I like this kind of diversification vacation um to get to see you know everything get to know everything and uh and then you know you can draw the conclusion yourself you can compare you can understand things more do you have uh have you carved out for yourself any rituals morning or evening routines that prime you for success or just get you in the sort of getting you in the rhythm for work well that's hard you know as the international company you know your time is uh it's a full day occupation, you know, generally speaking, you know, starting from, I live on the West coast. And so, so, you know, early morning, 
the East Coast has, has already started. And then it runs all the way to the afternoon and, uh, and the Chinese side start to, you know, you know, getting hop on into the cause. How do you balance it? You know, you've been doing it for 20 years. How do you find uh, time for family? Um, I guess, you know, if you used of organize your work better, you know, for example, I deal with my emails very quickly, you know, um, and, uh, you know, from the phone, I, you know, I, I, you know, Melissa probably knows this. I, I, I respond my team's email or customer's email normally right away, you know, oh, once I got it. But I also, if that, you know, that's an important issue, uh, if that's a, you know, um, I do think that's worth to, you know, explain more. I accumulate those emails to the nice and then, you know, handle all of those all at once to be more efficiently. And, uh, um, and you, you have to balance between your life and, uh, your, your work also, you know, um, that, uh, you know, um, I have two kids, uh, you know, uh, one of them has already went to college. Like I said, my son, uh, you know, he went to UC Santa Barbara and, uh, computer science major again, that's <laughs> in the family. Um, and I, as I said, I, I, I spent a lot of, uh, summertime with him when he was a kid, you know, we traveled together. Uh, when he came back to us, we spent almost, uh, you know, two months to travel around the us. We started from Chicago and then Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, then, you know, go all the way to the East coast and then visit a UVA and then come to, you know, uh, Austin, Texas, where he was born. You know, uh, I don't expect him to understand everything, but I want him to, you know, get a feeling, you know, this is where you're born and uh, this is uh, yeah. what the U.S. culture looks like. And uh, we joined different games, baseball, basketball, you know, we took different transportation. We were driving, flying, we take Amtrak, we wow. take Greyhound. Wow, yeah, cool. You know, so, so, Greyhound? Yeah, Greyhound. That's an experience a lot of Americans haven't had. I know, I know. Yeah, so, Unfortunately. Yeah, so. I've known you for a long time from afar, but I'm so impressed with the, the career that you've built and the impact that you have, uh, that you've been able to have on not just one, but one company, but our entire industry, um, truly. And uh, I am grateful for the opportunity to chat with you uh, now for more than two hours. It's been a tremendous ride. I'm looking forward to hearing how folks are uh, also receive this, uh, this episode. If other folks also would like to get in touch with you, where do you like to be found? Uh, are you, uh, you mentioned Elon Musk earlier, are you the kind that's on Twitter tweeting? Are you active on LinkedIn? How could folks reach out to you? Email. And uh, I do use the uh, WeChat a lot. And uh I don't have time for all the social media, so I'm not a big social media fan. I do have most of the accounts, but I barely you know, check that, you know, every once a quarter. Um, or, you know, um, I, I'm a face-to-face, -face, you know, uh, person also, you know, so, so um, yeah, I mean, we can set up the schedules to meet each other, grab a drink together. Yeah. Very cool. Well, WeChat, of course, is the, the platform of choice for most, uh, most Asians, certainly most Chinese. Um, so if you are on WeChat, you should look up Stephen Sue there and see uh, see if he is active. 
Um, if you really do uh, want to reach out to Stephen uh, and you want to do so by email, please feel free to reach out to me and I will, uh, I'll see if I can broker that introduction for you. Stephen, as we wrap, uh, I like to end with what we call a bold prediction. When we look out to 2030 and beyond, uh, you know, we've got, if we look from there backwards, um, we've got a thriving domestic manufacturing marketplace. Uh, it's not just Trina, but it's, you know, a half dozen others perhaps that are actually helping us meet the the goals and the needs of our market of um, 100 gigawatts or more. Um, what did we unlock? What did we get right that put us in that in that place? If we too much rely on the incentives, but are not efficient enough to keep on driving the cost down, then once the incentive is gone, the market will be sudden death or at least interrupted. Same philosophy if we are too much rely on the domestic contents, then we miss the opportunities to diversify our supply chain to reach a lower cost and higher efficiency. You know, so although the whole industry is incentive inspired or ignite, but it should not rely on that forever. It only help you to kick off, but it doesn't help you to survive long. If you know what I mean, that uh, you know it's it's a good start. You know, it's like twenty years or thirty years ago the German came up with the feeding turf, but by utilizing that kick off. We have to do a lot of things to, you know, to reach a higher goal, you know, to bring more advanced technology, to, to train the people to, you know, a, a better way, you know, more efficient, more productive, and uh, make your, you know, supply chain more resourceful, more diversified, more secure, and uh, to make sure your costs is keep on getting lower and, uh, like I said, you know, simply by reducing labor's costs or material costs, you cannot lower the cost that much. You have to increase your efficiency. You have to increase your productivities. You have to increase your technology, improve your technology in order to reach a lower cost. You know, um, so, and, and a lot of, a lot, a lot of things, like I said, were wasted, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, the EPC in terms of these, you know, um, warehousing in terms of the logistic, you know, in terms of putting things together, you know, so, so that's the things that I do think people should give the efforts to because, you know, you're not getting the money. It's just simply wasted. And, uh, you know, with the both side efforts, we definitely can be able to, you know, get those rooms back and, uh, you know, so everybody can enjoy it. And uh, you have to be, you know, Dynamic, dynamically manage the business. Um, you know, the policy is not something that we totally can predict. You know, <laughs> so, so it's the matter of when that happens, what can we do? Well, Stephen, bringing it full circle to the way that you began the interview more than two hours ago, if we rely on long-term incentives, uh, we cannot reach grid parity, and companies like Trina have been created to help us 
achieve the lowest cost inputs and get solar and other renewables down to grid parity so that we can, in fact, offset and replace the, uh, the legacy energy infrastructure. Exactly, exactly. We're not trying to, you know, do the solar and make somebody suffer, you know. It's exactly the opposite way. We are bringing the technology and renewables to make sure people can enjoy their life better and live longer and make money. And, uh, you know, so, so that's why, you know, don't take the short run, you know, take the long run. Don't take the short run. That's, I think that that is a great way to put a cap on what has been a tremendous interview. Stephen Zhu is the president of Trina US. And as you've heard over the last many minutes has been a sometimes quiet hand moving uh, the snooving the stern of what has become one of the more influential companies in the solar industry. Stephen, thank you for sharing the story. Thank you for your guidance and leadership and for being a part of the vision of one of the companies that truly will be in history remembered as uh, a company that helped uh, create the market that we all enjoy. It's all my pleasure. Yeah, we're very excited into this industry. We're very excited to work you know, with Trina and Trina's partners. Yeah, so let's do it together. Hey, thank you once again for making it all the way through this episode. Thank you for following us into 2024. I hope that you'll stick along for the ride this year. We're going to have some themes popping up that guide our conversations. We're going to be really digging into our tactical Tuesdays and our live broadcasts. We're going to be expanding our resource labs community with new announcements coming in the coming days. Please don't miss a thing by tuning in over at resourcelabs.co. Sign up to join our newsletter. There's a whole lot more coming where that is concerned. And if you'd like to know how, you could reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like our sponsors do. Please go check us out at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Thanks to those companies that do help make this show free to you each and every week. It only costs your time, which I admit is the only non-renewable resource you've got. So thanks for investing it here with us once again. Hope to see you back here again on Tuesdays for our Tactical Tuesdays and these Thursday episodes that can sometimes get a little long, but are so worth it as we deep dive with executives on the front lines of the clean energy transition. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.